Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to Power Hour. This is Ari Wasserman filling in for Nicole Auerbeck on this holiday week because she is famous and has a lot going on. Please bear with me. Alongside me, as always on the show, is Chris Fanini. We'll be reacting to the latest college football playoff rankings here in a moment. But for you podcast listeners, after we're done breaking down the rankings, Chris and Nicole caught up with Big Ten Network's Jake Butt and Joshua Perry, a former Michigan and Ohio State player, to pre- to preview the game, uh, which they have, both have a lot of experience in. So be sure to stick around after the rankings discussion to get the full power hour. Uh, also, be sure to follow the podcast on Apple, Apple or wherever you listen to your podcast. Drop us a five-star review. Uh, leave a question with your review, and we'll be sure to try to answer that on the show. And subscribe to the Until Saturday YouTube channel if you're here watching with us live. We certainly appreciate it. If you're listening to us in audio form, you can find us on YouTube where we go live on Tuesday nights after the playoff reveal, uh, Thursdays for the pick show, Saturdays for the reaction, and then Sunday for Sunday sound off. Um, the links can be found in the show's description. And if you want to participate in Sunday sound off where we use your voicemails to help us get through the show, uh, we love to hear from you. It's one of my favorite things to do every week. Uh, questions, comments, concerns, insults, conspiracy theories, anything that you have to say, we're interested in hearing. Please call 316-462-9852. Again, that is 316-462-9852. You can also text that number, but we certainly would rather use the voicemails. And lastly, you can subscribe to The Athletic for $1 a month for our Black Friday deal. Uh, $1 a month for 12 months. Uh Visit theathletic.com slash Saturday, and the deal is good through November 27th. A dollar a month for the best sports journalism on the face of the earth, I think is a really good deal here. So why don't we get right into it here? The college football playoff rankings have been revealed following week 12. And I don't know if you know this, Chris, but this is the uh, furthest into the college football season during the college football playoff era, dating back to 2014, where there's still five unbeaten teams. And somehow... We've figured out a way to make where unbeaten teams are ranked controversial. So we're going to get into that. The biggest story of the week, Chris, um, is Washington moving in to the number four slot, hopping Florida State. Obviously, Florida State won their game, but they lost star quarterback Jordan Travis for the year, who suffered a gruesome lower leg injury um, and announced on Twitter, obviously, that he's done for the year and his Florida State career is over. Uh, Why did that happen? Why don't we go to... CFP committee chair Boo Corrigan to explain it and then we'll break it down. What carried the day for Washington moving up a spot, the number four ahead of Florida State? Yeah, it really was about Washington and what Washington did this past weekend and going up to Reeser Stadium, tough place to play. Uh, Their defense has come around, um, has played well the last six quarters, given up a total of 20 points. Again, no that it was a rainy day, but in, in total, again, and that's what we're looking at, and y'all were talking different data points, but, you know, watching games does matter. And, and as we looked at 
Washington over the course of the season looked at Florida State uh, this past week in week 12. We decided to put Washington ahead. Okay, so what impact did the injury to Jordan Travis have on the evaluation of Florida State? Didn't, didn't have any impact. As we're watching the game, uh, Florida State starts off down 13. Um, Rodemaker comes in to the game. They score 58 consecutive points. Uh, they got a lot of dudes on the field, Reese. They got a lot of guys that can play. And, you know, as we're looking at it, that's where we are uh, this week. And, again, anything beyond that is going to be projecting. I thought there were a few interesting nuggets there, Chris, but I think that you have a very strong take on Washington and where they should be ranked. And it's not necessarily um, whether they should be five or four, but maybe a little higher. Yeah, Washington should be number two here to me, and I don't think it's particularly close when you look at what they've done. They've beaten Oregon, Oregon State, USC, Arizona, Utah. Three of those five games come on the road. They have a better group of wins than anybody else in the country. You can make the case the win over Oregon is the best win in the country. Yeah, they struggled with Arizona State and Sanford, and they haven't won a game by more than 10 points since, I think, the middle of September. But when you look at the resume at this point, like their wins, their collection of wins are so much better than Ohio State and, and especially Michigan have right now. Again, it ultimately doesn't matter because it'll work itself out. If Washington is undefeated, they'll be in. It's fine. I'm just really surprised that Washington only went up to four when you consider they just went on the road, beat Oregon State, a team a committee still has ranked. And here they are. You, I know, have had questions about Washington for a while. Um, Me? I'm the only one? Well, you wrote about it. You talked about it on here before, so figured we. I think that they were super impressive this past week. I think that they played in the rain and they basically dominated the game. You want to know what my favorite thing about Washington was? Uh, On the final drive on third down and short, when they were trying to play keep away from Oregon State and not allowing their opponent to get the last possession, instead of running the ball and playing cowardly, Kalen DeBoer put the ball in. Michael Penix Jr.'s hands, and he threw a dart in one-on-one coverage. I believe it was a back shoulder throw to Romo Dunze, who caught the pass, and they got up and you know did that bow and arrow celebration. It was like, that is the epitome of a coach trusting his players and their best players stepping up in key moments like it's not for the game and just executing a very tough play like it was easy. Um, I think that Washington's body of work is impressive. I think that... Um, the fact that they were able to win all those games in the Pac-12, many of which that you just mentioned came on the road, is super impressive. Obviously, we know how challenging navigating the Pac-12 schedule was going to be. Um, and I know that like sometimes, too, even a, a win like Utah that might not necessarily look great without the ranking that they have is still a tough place to win. And they did that. So I am 100% on board with Washington being ranked where they're ranked. Now, the question that I have is, and you did the the mock playoff committee, and I've done the mock playoff committee. You know damn well in that room, they're not just saying which teams have the best resume. They're watching the games. They're evaluating it. They're feeling it out. So I'm going to ask you back, if you were to put them number two, you do our top 133 rankings every week, how much of your feeling of Washington is predicated on the pure data and how many and how much of it is predicated on what you feel when you watch them play? It's both. Um 
you know, they're number one in ESPN's strength of record. They have the best strength of schedule among the five undefeated Power 5 teams, according to ESPN as well. So, like, the, the numbers are there in terms of what they've done and who they've played. And when you watch it, you just, like, you look at this offense, those receivers, Michael Penix Jr., and like you said, when the game is on the line, you trust that they're going to have the guys to make the plays. That's what they did against Oregon. They got the stop on third down, fourth down. Penix drives them down and wins the game. Like, it's just it's a team that is not flawless, obviously, but it's a team that continues to show up in the big moments. It has the star players. It has a one of the Heisman leaders. I, I just think this is a team that coming into the season, I think you and I talked about Washington. I had them in the playoff to start the year and just what they've done is 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 more impressive than anybody. I, I mean, I think Georgia is a, clearly a better team. And, you know, the d- debate is. Ohio State and Michigan, would you take them over Washington? They'd probably be favored, but like, I don't know, as someone who you yourself is skeptical of Michigan a bit, and especially their passing offense, I mean, if you lined up Washington against Ohio State or Michigan, do you think Washington would certainly lose or 50-50, or how would you compare them if they lined up with each other? See, I was about to jump down your throat, then you saved yourself. Like, I'm like over here chomping at the bit, ready to debate you. Let me tell you, I really miss being on the on the post college football playoff show because this is like this really, uh, you know, fires me up. But the thing that yeah, I think is interesting is there's no question. I mean, I guess it's not much of a debate that Washington probably has the best win in college football right now, right? Washington has a better complete resume than anybody in the country when you add up all the wins they have, right? So yes. if you're going to do this from a resume standpoint, then go all the way with it. Why not put them ahead of Georgia? Like, if that's the way you're looking at it, go all the way with it. But the reason why you're okay with them being number two behind Georgia is because you know in your gut, or you say you know in your gut, that Georgia's a better football team than them, right? So let's just take what I just said and hold that. Now you have to apply that to everybody, because if that's the way you view it, you can't pick and choose when to apply that criteria. So do I think that Washington is better than Ohio State and Michigan? No, I don't. Now, they have a a really good quarterback, and I think they've got one of the best receivers in college football, but I don't think that that team would beat those two teams. So you you watch watch what J.J. McCarthy's done the last two weeks, throwing for less than mm -hmm. 100 yards and not doing much, and you think for sure, I'm not saying Michigan wouldn't be favored, but you're saying you don't think Washington, Michigan would be close. It would be a pretty good game. Yeah, but I think Michigan would win, so I would put Michigan ahead. Like that see, is kind I, I, see, of my I'm not, thought process. I'm not so sure about that anymore. I, I, I was at other points in the season, but as it's gone on, I've actually felt more comfortable about Washington. Well, the beauty time. of Georgia, this is, no. is that but you don't two, have yeah. to worry about it. Both of these teams are unbeaten and control their destiny. So like that's what makes me shaky is like if we ever got to the last week of the season and the games are over and we had to have this debate between two teams that are both deserving um, – and one would be inevitably left out, then I would feel worse about it. But when we're talking about it in the context of two teams who are clearly in, if they don't lose, then I'm fine picking and choosing who I think is going to win or lose. But I think you're yeah. right with with Washington's resume. They they certainly have done a really good job. But at the same time, too, it's like, do we not think that you know Ohio State could beat Arizona? Do we not think that Ohio State would beat Utah? Do we not think that Michigan would beat some of these teams? Um, so to me, it's like if you think that they are – um, one of the best combination of talents between the wide receiver and uh, quarterback position, and they've got the best win in the sport, then why would you rank them in behind Georgia 
right now when Georgia's playing Alabama next weekend yeah, and we'll I, certainly I just be think, able to hop them back. So like the way yeah. that I don't understand the way the committee works is that it's and, and the thing that drives me crazy, and I understand why there's more than one person in the room doing this, but they inconsistently rank teams. And it's hard for them to be transparent about why. It's like one team will be bolstered by eye test and another team will be bolstered by resume. And then later in the rankings, they'll flip-flop their thought process on another two set of teams. And it doesn't make sense. And I think that's why the people lose their minds. But like for me, if I were on the committee, I would rank teams based on what I know um, from their resumes. Who's got the best resume right now? We're going to put Washington ahead, knowing damn well down the line that we're going to get more context for the teams that we ranked ahead. And then at the end of the road, I would quantify eye tests and all those things when it's time to make that decision and the dust settles and we have all the data that we need and a clear path to the final four. Yeah. Um, I, so I, that's I just, the way I, just, I would do yeah. it. I mean, I just, I think about Washington's offense and how it's nothing like anything Ohio State or Michigan have played this year. And when I think about Michigan in these rare instances where these Big Ten teams step outside the Big Ten and what they do, it it's, it's been mixed results. Ohio State has the talent typically comes through. Michigan last year goes and loses the TCU. Like, I, I'm not, if you put Washington and Michigan together, I, to me, it's a coin flip. I, I think Wash, I could see Washington winning. I, I could see Michigan winning. I think that can go either way. So, yeah, the one thing that I right, will it, say it, is, yeah, I like getting fired up about college football playoff debates, but when teams are undefeated and whether they win or lose will decide whether they're in or out, like, I just, it's hard for me to get amped up about it because. Yeah. You know Washington is one win away, two wins away. They've got to beat Wazoo, and they've got to beat Oregon. And yeah. if they're able to beat Oregon again, then I'm perfectly fine ranking them number two in the final set of rankings if it comes yeah. to that, you know? Yeah. And, and to me, there. it's like the, the seeding kind of flip-flops at the end anyway. So, like, are people in – like, even last week when people in Seattle were fired up, it's like, do you really care that they're five right now? Like, why do you care? It doesn't matter. But – I understand, too, that it's an ego thing and you want to be in the top four and all that stuff. But I think this is a nice transition um, to Florida State because I think these two teams are kind of one and the same a little bit because they're being ranked against each other a little. What is your take on Florida State's quarterback situation? Do you think that losing their quarterback should have an impact on whether they go or do you think automatically Florida State is in if they finish as an undefeated ACC champ? I think they're in. I don't think they would let them out, especially because I'm asking you what you would do. I would have. Well, we got to see what the games are. You know, like Cardell, Cardell Jones went in and won 59 to nothing against Wisconsin. Like that was and, and remember, Ohio State like jumped TCU and Baylor, I think, at the end of the year. So like that was a statement. It, it dep- if if Florida State barely holds on and beats Florida, barely holds on and beats Louisville or, uh, you know, then it's or loses one of them. Obviously, it doesn't that, matter. Well, but yeah. Well, if they lose, then it's a different yeah. conversation. Yeah, it, it, but but if they're undefeated with two really shaky wins and Rodemaker doesn't look good, then maybe we have a debate. But it depends what happens elsewhere too. I I, I don't I, I'm not penalizing them now for the quarterback thing. I don't think that's why Florida State dropped to five now. I think it's only because Washington won at Oregon State. Um, I don't think in the end they would have an undefeated Florida State miss out in the ultimately, and and, and I wouldn't. Either, although it depends who they're up against, I guess. You know, like we don't know. I got questions about other. I think that if they're undefeated, they should take up a spot. And if you think it's a wasted spot, then it's a wasted spot. But they earned it. Yeah. And you know, Mister Regular Season is Sacred can't dismiss how hard it is to go undefeated from wire to wire in the Power Five and then not reward that team 
with a chance to play for it, even if I feel like they were going to get their doors blown off. The fact of the matter is, is, you know, and I think this is, might be a controversial thing to say to Florida State fans, but if FSU was the four seed going into the playoff playing Georgia, I think they get their, their doors blown off with Jordan Travis. I don't even think much changes. Like, really? I mean, they have, probably have a better chance, that. obviously, yeah. uh, with Jordan Travis on the field, but like it or not, they're probably going to be 14 to 17 point underdogs in the game anyway. I don't know. At least at least two scores. So, you know, that uh, to it, me I, is, I don't think it'd be 14 if Travis was playing. No, if, if, I guess if it's not. I don't know. Maybe it'd be 10. Yeah. Seven and a half. Like I don't that. know. Maybe I overdid it a little bit. 17 is a lot of points. But I, I think that Georgia would win that game very easily. So I don't know if we want to talk about disaster scenarios yet. Why don't we go into the Ohio State-Michigan game here? Um, yeah. Obviously, both of these teams need to win to get in, right? There's no thought process that the loser of this game is getting in uh, like they did last year. Ohio State, maybe. I, I still think it's a maybe. Ohio, Michigan, no. If Michigan loses, they are out. I, I think Texas, Oregon, well, I guess Oregon could lose it. But but if Oregon, like I think a one-loss Washington, if they lose in the Pac-12 championship game, would stay ahead of Michigan, for example. Or Oregon would jump them. It, it, it's hard to see a situation where Michigan loses and gets in. Ohio State, maybe, but but also very, very unlikely because if you see what happens elsewhere, if Texas... Oregon, Alabama. There's, there's a lot of one-loss teams that, if they do get in, are going to be ahead of Michigan because there's, there's more options on that this resume. year than there were last year. A lot more. That TCU losing in the championship game and getting in is probably not going to happen this year. If Washington loses in the Pac-12 championship game, I don't think they're getting in. If uh, Georgia loses in the SEC championship game, could be close. It, it, it could be close. Uh, Florida State loses, they're out. It's it's not going to be like last year. The top eight is way more packed. Than it was last year, but this is a really big game for Ohio State and Michigan, not because of just the obvious stuff, but from a seeding standpoint. I know you get all fired up about seeding, like that's going to be what really drives the bus not next now. year. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah next no, year. it's important. It's more important than you think it is. And um, Georgia or Alabama will either, I, I think, will probably be one. I don't know if Alabama wins the SEC, they might not be one. Yeah. But if we assume that Georgia beats Alabama then the winner of the Ohio State-Michigan game with that win under their belt going into the Big Ten Championship and then potentially beating Iowa out there makes them the two seed, thus helps them avoid any first-round semifinal matchup with Georgia, which I think is significant yeah. for both teams. You um, And, you, you, and made, that, remember, you, made, you made the case last year when the seedings yeah. came out that Georgia they got, got the short end of the stick by playing Ohio State instead of Michigan, which got TCU. Um, Michigan. You should go read the comments on that story. You end up being right. Yeah. If you want to laugh, it's a fair point. Knowing that we know now, whoever you are, if Georgia or Alabama is in the field, which presumably one will be, you don't want to play them. So yes, it'd be it'd be better to get up to number two, unless Alabama's number three. You know, like that's where that's where I think the committee may have to kind of take that into account a little bit. Yeah, but even so. If Alabama wins, Alabama's not going to be four either. So you're not playing an SEC team in the first round, no matter what. Like, there's no yes. way that the one loss SEC champion. Uh, well, okay, let's well, let's go to that. Let's yeah. go right to that because I think that's the most. You did not read my column today because you think I'm a bad writer, but I want to I want to express my growth as a human being. For those of you who are unaware, uh, Chris and I both live in Dallas. We hang out, and I think quite a bit for two adults with responsibilities. 
but we covered the TCU game and we argued about the playoff all the way there from, from Dallas and Fort Worth and then all the way home, which is probably a good hour and 15 minute debate with some four letter words and some inappropriate language mixed in there. But my take on the four team field has been fervently against it. Like I, I do not like the expansion. Sorry, right. fervently against the expansion of the four. I've heard. I, I prefer the four team field. That said, I went and looked it up. There have only been nine undefeated or one loss teams in week 12, two other times during the playoff era. So we are getting into certain uncharted territory with five of those teams this year of the nine, including Louisville, yeah. being undefeated. And there is one or two disaster scenarios that could happen this year that would force me to change my stance on the 12 team field. I'll never think that the 12 teams is right. I think it should be eight um, at the very least or six at the very least, but not more than 10. But if Washington wins out, that's a spot. Then there's another spot yep. for Ohio state or Michigan. That's yep. two. I don't know why that does that. That thumbs up. Um, <laughs> Florida state wins their next two games. They're probably in, right? So yep. you have three unbeaten power five teams. Now, if it comes down to the final spot and Alabama beats Georgia, which removes two of the five unbeatens, the loser of the Ohio State game and Georgia, then there is a debate for the final spot, which would be between one loss Texas with a win on the road at Alabama and Alabama with a win recently over Georgia in the city of Atlanta to win the SEC. And if that happens, and, and, and Georgia, one of those two, I mean, I mean, and Georgia, yeah, well, Georgia's probably going to be out in that scenario, um, probably, and that's it. But but that's that's fine. But in that scenario, no matter who you think should go, somebody who deserved it and earned it won't go, and that has never happened in the fourteen field. So if yeah. we actually get chaos this year, and I think that like it's not crazy upsets. It's not Iowa beating Ohio State or Michigan. It's not any of these 17 or 21 point dogs in the in the conference championship games that we're counting on. Like we're talking about real life results against good teams playing good teams and it's what two or three results that we need? Yeah. And then we're in that position? That would stink. What? So I I'm, I'm telling you as a man who grows through new information. Yeah, I shouldn't have said. That. Um <laughs> I'm a little bit nervous about look, the chaos. Look, look, there, there, there is a scenario here where we get undefeated Michigan, Ohio State winner, Georgia, Florida State, Washington. And it's a clear four undefeated top four. And right there, boom, you're like, we shouldn't go to the playoff. This is the perfect 12 team, the perfect four team field. Something we've never had before. It's an unprecedented type of situation. It, it, it's a clean decision by the committee, but it also ex it brings back that debate of why do we need to go to to more. But there's also, like you said, a couple changes here or there. If Alabama beats Georgia, if Oregon beats Washington, there, there's a couple of changes that could really shake this whole thing up. And if, if those happen in the next two weeks, obviously we'll talk about them. We don't need to go through all the scenarios now. But yeah, it's this is unlike any year we've ever had in the playoff. And I don't think this one year should be a determination on whether or not expanding is right or wrong. Because we've never had a year like this. Most years, it's easy to get to four. Some years, there's not even four. You know, the first year of the playoff, you could have said it should, it should have been six, Baylor, TCU. So um, it's going to make these last two weeks 
fascinating. And the conference championship sure games is, bud. are going to be sure massive. Is. I feel like this is the perfect illustration for why it should stay for unless we get to the end of the road and there are unanswered questions that leave somebody being left out. But I love the idea that the Ohio State-Michigan is likely a elimination game. I love yes. that the Alabama-Georgia game is likely an elimination game. I like that every game that Florida State is playing for the rest of the year, whether that be Florida this weekend um, and whatever, Florida and whoever they play, or I mean Louisville in the ACC, that's a elimination game. So when you talk about the expanded field to 12, just remember the playoff is right now in the sport. It's happening right now. We have a 12-team field. The games are happening starting this week. Okay. Yeah. Let's get to the, le- the the next few segments here. Let's do a New Year's 6 update, Chris. I'll hand that over to you. I don't know what the New Year's 6 situation. Missouri's in a really good spot. Uh, obviously to get in Louisville depends on where things go. Penn State, they play Michigan State. A lot of these teams are are in a good spot to kind of get into that New Year's 6 bowl. It's weird cuz we think about like the group of 5 spot, we think about the playoff spot. The in-betweens are kind of as long as you don't lose a game you shouldn't lose, if you're Penn State, Missouri, a couple of these other teams, you'll be fine. Uh, you're not going to make the playoff, but you'll make a, a a Fiesta Bowl or something like that and, and have a lot of fun with it. Um, the Group of Five race got really interesting now mm-hmm. because Tulane is there at, I think, 23, and Liberty is at 25. Uh, that means no, no SMU, no Toledo, no James Madison, obviously, who is not eligible and if Tulane has UTSA this week, huge game. Winner goes to the American Championship game, uh, likely against three SMU. seven and O teams in the American. So still, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. So it, it's it's Liberty now has a real shot. I wasn't sure if they would. If if they uh, win their last game, then they play now nine win New Mexico State in the conference championship game. If Tulane loses to UTSA or, or or wins and loses to SMU, it's possible undefeated Liberty. You could have undefeated Liberty versus maybe a two loss SMU for that spot or a three loss UTSA. Cause I don't see Toledo uh, jumping Liberty at this point. So time to think about Liberty potentially getting into that new year six spot that is now on the table. And the Tulane game at UTSA could be a tricky little matchup there. Very much. I'm not so. necessarily Tulane, sure that Tulane's two, yeah. going to win that game. No, I, I think I actually picked UTSA to Tulane uh, UTSA with Frank Harris, completely different team. Obviously he's one of the best quarterbacks in the entire group of five. That's going to be a really tough game. But if you have like a three loss UTSA and a two loss SMU in the championship game and three loss UTSA wins, like Americans probably not getting the bid at that point. It's probably going to Liberty or uh, if Liberty loses, maybe a Toledo or something like that. So a lot to watch in the group of five spot. That's going to be a lot of fun. All the conferences have some really good uh, stuff. Last couple things I want to bring up here. Two ranking decisions that made zero sense to me. This is the, the segment that Chris always does at the end where he complains about the bottom half of the rankings, and it's my favorite yes, thing. Because it plays into what's going on at the top of the rankings. Know. Tennessee being 21 is insane to me. They have beaten nobody. Their best wins are Texas A&M, which fired its coach, Kentucky, which is 6-5, and five, and UTSA, which did not have Frank Harris. But Tennessee being ranked gives Alabama, Georgia, and Missouri all the top 25 win. That's pretty convenient. Tennessee has also been blown out in their last two games by Georgia and Missouri. Do you think Do you think Tennessee should be there? Do you think Tennessee's just there to help boost the teams at the top? I, so the way that they rank the teams in the committee room, I don't think that it works in a way where they can deliberately do that. 
Like, I don't think that right. people in the room are making a conscious decision to be like, hey, why don't we just slide Tennessee up there and do that so that we can help out Alabama? Yeah, Tennessee was, like, that's not, Tennessee was 25th. Tennessee was 25th in the AP poll, which I still think is weird. But it's not, yeah, you're right. It's not just like out of nowhere. But I do think that the bottom half of these rankings gives teams at the top that are going to be, it's just like if we get into that Alabama Texas debate and Tennessee ranks 19 at the end of the year, then they're going to use that Tennessee win for Alabama in that discussion that might even make it to the point where Alabama is the clear choice and they don't have to get to the protocol that involves considering the head to head. So from that standpoint, it's right. certainly significant. And I do think that they're overranked. Yes. And I the mean, other what's one, the one most impressive thing they've done all year? I don't even know. It's Texas A&M. No, most impressive thing they've done is have a lead against Alabama and then lose it and blow it. That was the most impressive thing they've done. So that's that's a weird, very weird ranking. Clemson, like Clemson's in there too, kind of shaky, but you can at least make a case. Hey, they beat Notre Dame. They beat North Carolina, whatever. I just, I don't understand Tennessee in there. The other one is Kansas State is one spot ahead of Oklahoma State. This could have, this could have some New Year's Six implications. Um, K-State, one spot over Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State beat Kansas State on a Friday night. And I feel like nobody watched that game. Because I watched been, it. There have been multiple instances in, in various rankings, human poll rankings, where Kansas State's been one spot ahead of Oklahoma State. And I In fairness, bizarre. if you watch the game, it was like Kansas State forgot how to play football for an afternoon. Yeah, but I don't know if, what if happened got, that day. That was like a, was a that was like an unsolved game. mysteries episode. Yeah, it's just if you've got two teams that are right next to each other and they played each other, how is the team that won the game not the higher team? I I just I really I couldn't go on the the teleconference, and I'm sure I wouldn't get a clear answer. But just like as someone who ranks 133 teams every Sunday, I'm constantly looking. Hey, did these two teams within like two or three spots play each other? Oh yeah, I gotta flip them because they beat that team. Like for, to to have that in a 25 team ranking to have Kansas State above Oklahoma State was just bizarre to me. It ultimately probably doesn't well, matter. I just wanted to talk about it. I've seen firsthand the amount of work that you put into the 133, and I want to do a quick public service announcement. Announcement. Chris works his ass off putting those together, and the man is afraid to read the comments because it's so abusive. And like, I don't think that people realize how bleeping hard it is to do that. Like, I do not envy that. And if there was one media member who I believe is qualified to be on the committee, uh, there's nobody more qualified than you, Chris, because you're watching all the group of five games. You're in the nitty gritty and the stats like you are a very smart and dedicated person. And I really appreciate you allowing me to crash the power hour party. Um, I'll let everybody who is listening to this get back to the star of the show, which is Chris and, and Nicole. And if you are interested in hearing what I have to say at any other point, check out the other episodes in the until Saturday feed. Thank you guys so much for bearing with us during this uh, quick recap of the latest college football playoff rankings. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the athletic. Again, it's $1 a month during the black Friday sale. That is the athletic.com slash Saturday. That is good till November 27th. Um, enjoy your Thanksgivings. Your families have a nice, relaxing day. Enjoy the NFL. And most importantly, enjoy Rivalry Weekend because it's going to be one like no other. Chris, thanks so much for your time. I'm Ari Wasserman. Here is Power Hour. All 
right, I'm excited to welcome in two of my good pals. I see them all the time in Chicago and work with them. And I'm excited. Joshua Perry, former Ohio State captain, national champion, Jake Butt, Michigan tight end. Uh, you guys co-star in a show together over on Stadium, Red Corner, Blue Corner. Um, but first of all, thank you both for coming. And look at this. We Buckeyes and Wolverines can share a room together this week. It's gr- It's a good lesson for everyone to learn. A great lesson. This is one of my great friends. We'll uh, we'll be friends up until kickoff, and then uh, you know, in between then and the end of the game, might be a little bit contentious. But overall, excited. I can tell he's getting a little fiery this week. <laughs> the temperature is getting turned up a little bit. <laughs> um. So let's start by talking about what this week is like. Uh. You know, as a player, but obviously also as an alum. I mean, it is a a very special time. How different did it feel when you were preparing to play in that game? Like, obviously, you know, people are going to have the countdown clocks and there's just extra energy. But what was that like as a player? I mean, it really like you can't really quantify it or it's hard to really put into words. But, you know, you still go to class on Monday. You still have meetings in practice. But there is a completely different energy in the air. Urban Meyer, I thought, said a a great quote today in uh, talking about the game. He's like, it's not just that Saturday. It's not just that week or that month. He's like, this is a this is a lifestyle choice. This is a life choice. Um, It's ingrained into your DNA. And I think that perfectly describes it. Everything just gets turned up a notch. There, There's never a week that I practice where I didn't go 100% in all things. But this week, there was something beyond. I don't even, I use the word spiritual because like there was something beyond myself as an individual that we were able to tap into. That's what makes it the best rivalry in sports. Yeah, I think the emotion is the biggest part about it. Like there's not another game on the schedule in the regular season, at least that feels this emotional, even having been a guy who played in the college football playoff. I don't even think that level of emotion matched what we had and we were leading into the game. And I can remember coming in on Sundays for that first practice leading into the the week, we'd walk in and and on the floor, they would tape down uh, Michigan scout team jerseys so we could get used to walking all over Michigan. Like it was even to that level for us. (laughs) that we were prepping for the game. Um, and, and so I think that there's there's an emotion level, there's an intensity level, and then there's a level of pride as well. And, and, and Jake grew up in Columbus just like I did. But when you are somebody who grows up around that rivalry, you understand how much it means to people in the community on either side. And like everybody's decked out in their Buckeye gear in Columbus. They're crossing out the M's on any building that's around. All anybody wants to talk about is that game. And so I think there's a pride too of your community and of your state being behind you. And this is the one goal that everybody has momentum toward. I was going to ask about that dynamic, Jake, being an Ohio guy going to Michigan, you know, what was that? What was the reaction in your community and your friends when you were going to Michigan instead of Ohio state? It was, it was expected, right? Like everything you guys would expect was the reaction. I mean, the trick is though, is I didn't have a scholarship to Ohio state. So like, it wasn't like I was, uh, you know, it was not a serious crossing of the Buckeyes. You know, they, I felt they crossed me by not offering me a scholarship. I agree. Yeah. So I went up, I went up North and, um, you know, most people that understood that understood the decision, but I can tell you, like, I remember as a freshman, I was 18 years old in 2013, that very first Monday practice, Brady Hope comes up to me in warmups and he whispered in my ear and he said, remember, they didn't want you. And like, that was an easy, like a, a deep, pit of energy I could always tap into. Yeah. And and on the flip side of that too, like we knew 
that the Ohio guys on that roster, that's exactly what they were being fed. The idea that, you know, probably there was a level of desire to play for the home team and they didn't have it. And so the next best thing is to, you know, kick their ass on one Saturday during the football season. So we knew that if, if there was a guy who we were lined up against, we knew Jake Butt from Columbus, Ohio, is going to want to have a, uh, you know, a, a Mackey Award moment during this game. And we got to prevent that guy from having the game that he wants. Yeah, we're talking with Joshua Perry, my colleague over at NBC, Jake Butt, Big Ten Network. Both of them work on stadium, do a great show together uh, looking at Big Ten football. So let's talk about the actual games themselves that you guys played in. What were your favorite moments or it could be before, after, during? Uh, Joshua, I'll start with you because I think you have more positive memories of the yes. outcomes. <laughs> yeah, um, there are two of them that stand out. The uh, the 2013 game, which was uh, the one that came down to the two-point conversion. Uh, our good pal, Tyvis Powell, uh, came up with the uh, the interception there and he saved my behind because I ran the wrong stunt on a blitz. And had I actually run it right, I would have had a shot uh, to hit Devin, but I didn't. But Tyvis was there to save the day. And I can remember he ran off to the sideline. He had the football that he caught. And one of the Michigan ball boys was trying to get the ball back. And he was doing that. Nah, gotcha. Gotcha. Like he didn't want to. And we took it into the locker room. It was great. Um, but 2015 <laughs> was the one for me um, just overall, because the week before that game, we lost to Michigan State. And that ended our hopes of going to the college football playoff in back-to-back -back years. That was also the last game that I had played in Ohio Stadium, and I was heartbroken. So we came in on Sunday, and Urban was as pale as a ghost, and he looked like he had no plan for how to proceed into the next week. And I'm sitting there with Taylor Decker, uh, who's a captain for us, and Tyvis Powell and Jacoby Bourne were captains as well. And uh, we're just kind of devising a plan of, of how we want to address our final regular season week. And uh, we went up to Urban, and we're like, listen, you know, this can make everything right. We got to get this. And uh, we ended up going on the road and 42 to 13 final score in that one in the top 10 matchup in Jim Harbaugh's first year. It was the icing on the cake and in, in the final of four wins for me. And I thought that was a pretty impactful one. Yeah, fortunately, I mean, none, none, of, none of anything I say matters because we didn't win. I mean, just flat out, I never beat them. So, uh, you know, one was cool. I guess I was a freshman in 2013 and I was having a, a really great game. Yeah. I ended up with like five catches for 85 yards and that yeah. was like. It, we we had no business being in that game. I think Ohio State was ranked second in the country. And then late in the fourth quarter, well, down on the goal line, I ran like a little Y hide play and I caught a touchdown to tie it up 35-35. I had the a little moment where I'm like, wow, sweet. We're going to beat Ohio State and I'm going to be a part. I can say I helped the team win. Didn't get it done. Probably in 2016, what was really cool, though, is like Patrick Elfline, the offensive lineman for Ohio State. He's like one of my best friends. I was at his wedding. Uh, he'll be in my wedding. His mom was my lunch lady. We went to Pickering. <laughs> in uh, the Pickerton School District all together. And we met at the 50-yard line as captains. And it was like, you know, I got to like shake his hand. And uh, that, that was a pretty cool moment. So for both of you guys, what has changed in this rivalry the last couple of years? Now that like, Jake, you never won a game. And now you're going on three years that, that Ohio State hasn't won the first year because of COVID. Uh, what have you guys seen change as to how Michigan finally got the upper hand here? A lot's changed, and I think that's what plays into this because you do, you know, belief is a self-fulfilling prophecy where, like, I mean, there was a couple that, – that that 2013 game, 
you know, there was never a doubt on Ohio State's sideline that they were going to win. They had proved in Columbus that they were going to win no matter what, no matter what the score was. Ohio State had a, a stack of proof that they would find a way to win before the final whistle blew. And Michigan had to overcome that belief, and they did it in 2021. I think everyone was nervous uh, in that stadium up until about 30 seconds left. Because there was just a history, man, C.J. Stroud and those receivers, they were going to find a way to win. Well, what changed there is they were able to overcome that belief. Aiden Hutchinson, uh, I still talk to guys today. They talk about his leadership and what he meant to the program. Last year, you know, that in, in 2021, 95% of the people picked Ohio State to win. Michigan got it done. Last year, it was 50-50. Um, most people said, well, you beat them once, you got to do it twice. Can you do it on the road? Well, they did it on the road. Now, all of a sudden, I think what's really changed is Michigan has the stack of proof to say, we will win no matter what. And for the first time in a long time, Ryan Day and the Ohio State Buckeyes, like they have to overcome that psychological aspect where they ha- they don't have the proof that they're the better team, that they're capable of winning this game. Yeah, and I think what goes into that, too, is the idea of you can, you know, Michigan coming into the year is for the first time, really, we're hearing them talk about well, we want to win a national title. What does that encompass? Well, it encompasses the fact that you probably beat your rival along the way there. Like it's it is almost a foregone conclusion for them that they are going to do it. Whereas Ohio State, when I was playing there, we had no problem saying that we were going to beat Michigan. We had no problem saying that. And I think guys are a little bit more trepidatious right now because they haven't done it in a little while. And so I think for them, this is a for the Buckeyes, a big point to to really reshape that narrative about what they feel empowered to say and do whereas Michigan has that empowerment right now and you have to steal it back so one big difference this year is no Jim Harbaugh on the sidelines and uh you know we've all talked about it a lot endlessly over the last couple of weeks but I wonder a what this means for Sharon Moore who's been you know, forced to step in and be the acting head coach in two monster games already this year but nothing will touch being on the sidelines against Ohio State, and also like how much of an impact it is to not actually have your head coach that is your head coach for a reason on the sidelines. So, Jake, maybe you can start this one. Well, just like from a sheer, uh, like an operational standpoint, I was told an example of how this matters, like in the Penn State game. So Sharon Moore is the offensive coordinator and the offensive line coach. And when Jim Harbaugh is on the sideline, he handles the head coaching duties. So when Michigan's defense is on the field, Sharon Moore can walk over to the O-line in the offense, take off his headset and start to converse with them and get feedback and make adjustments. Well, in the Penn State game, of course, he finds out he's the head coach like 24 hours before kickoff, if that. And, you know, Michigan's offense was struggling. So he goes over to the offensive line and the offense takes off his headset, starts to converse and make that adjustment. And an assistant coach has to come over to him and say, hey, coach, put your headset back on. We need you to make those decisions. Like, what are we doing? Are we going to a safe punt or are we going into a punt return? Like all these little little things that are are on a head coach, Sharon Moore now has to consider before he can make those adjustments. So that's one piece of it. The other piece is J.J. McCarthy. Struggling. He, it hasn't looked as good in, in recent weeks. And, you know, big, a big reason Coach Harbaugh has had success is because he's been able to communicate to quarterbacks and, and get the most out of them. I know J.J. has a great relationship with Coach Harbaugh. Watch the way they act pregame in, in, in years past. Yep. He doesn't have that to lean on. So that's just another factor in this game. It, those are two of the biggest reasons. I will say this, where it can help him. 
Remember, Coach Harbaugh cannot be on the sideline for the game, but he can in that Friday night meeting before before they when they're in the hotel before they play the game. I got to imagine that is going to be in a highly emotional meeting for everybody. And, and Coach Harbaugh is going to say what needs to be said to rally the troops. Yeah, I think the emotion has to ramp up. And I, I think the preparation for this game has always been more important than um, anything that you can do in game because the, the hay is already in the barn. Um, but I, I think the idea for Sharon Moore, too, of when you get into a game of this magnitude, I'm sure that there are going to be critical situations where he's going to have to make a decision um, that might impact the outcome of the game. And I'll, I'll give you this analogy. So I had a water leak in my house one time. Uh, I was living in a condo. I'm on the second floor and I had to go to an appointment. And so uh, my father-in-law came over to help my wife with it. And I told them to tell the downstairs neighbor that we had a water leak because, you know, gravity, water travels fast downhill. They decided not to do it. And it was because my father-in-law was like, oh, no, I can take care of it. And my response to him is, this is not your home. So you don't get to make those decisions. And for Jim Harbaugh, when he makes decisions that impact the program, it's his home. He's allowed to do that. When you're Sharon Moore, people might be looking at you a little bit sideways. You might have a little bit more caution about how you want to take shots down the field, about which fourth downs you want to go on. Do you call the fake punt? Those are the critical moments that I think he's going to have to be very self-confident and confident in his players when he makes those decisions. Hey, that's pretty damn good. That's why that he's the good. best right there. That's pretty damn good. <laughs> that was really good. wasn't sure where it was going for a second, but that was the, it got there. It got finished. Us there. Got us there. <laughs> um, okay, so, so Joshua, the flip side of this is there's a ton of pressure on Ryan Day, having not won two in a row now. He wins against just about everybody else, except this game can put you on as close to the hot seat as you can be when your record's overall what it is. Yeah. Um, even more pressure now that it's going to be an interim head coach on the other sidelines? I think so. I mean, it's it's all because of the narrative. Like, imagine you couldn't be Jim Harbaugh. Well, he's not there. You got the boogeyman uh, off in the hotel somewhere watching the game. And then it's like, well, it doesn't matter because you have this dude who has all of three games of head coaching experience who just beat you. Like, the narrative is going to go crazy. I also think that it would be foolish for people to try to run him out of town if they lose to Michigan again. And it would not feel good to me. It doesn't sit right with me. Um, you know, I came from a, a very winning culture. Uh, but at the same time, I understand how difficult it is to win. And I don't think that Ohio State losing to Michigan a third time makes them a nationally irrelevant program. And you can look back at last year where they probably should have beat Georgia in the semifinal and then could have been national champs after losing to Michigan. It's the idea for me is where you are in the national landscape as the Big Ten changes and as the college football playoff changes, I think they'll be in the mix. And if you want to look at it like this, and I know Ohio State fans are going to be like, okay, whatever. But, I mean, Jim Harbaugh started off this thing 0-5, right? And, and there were a lot of people that were like, this guy can't get the job done. Now, all of a sudden, he's the greatest coach ever coached at Michigan. And I think he is a wonderful coach. And it was one game. because They had some pretty good teams, but one game that people wanted to define his legacy on. Um, and I think it's a foolish exercise to get into. So there's a lot of pressure. I think there was pressure anyway. It is certainly ramped up, and, and it would be a bad look if you lose to the interim guy, but I still have confidence in Ryan Day as a coach that could lead this team to a championship at some point. The pressure builds within the game too, right? So like early, like the first quarter and a half is something we have to watch here because if Michigan jumps out to a lead, 
Ryan Day is fully aware of this narrative, too. Like the urgency that's created if your team doesn't start fast and is struggling, that forces more decisions from you. And those decisions could either save the day or really hurt you. So it, it the, the early in the game will just create these little forks in the road because of the pressure. It, it, it just it's a further magnifies the situation for Coach Day. And to that point, I think the way to take the pressure off if you are that coach early in the game is to get creative and to be aggressive. Wait, don't wait. You can't wait. You can't wait. I think you have to try to, to take control of that game early on. I think it's what Ryan Day tried to do against Georgia last year, and it really worked. Um, and thankfully, there's not a defense full of guys that are falling down in the secondary this year to let teams back in the games like they did a year ago. But that aggression, Seriously. that mindset, I think, sets the tone early on that you're there to play. Do you guys think this could be the last version of Michigan, Ohio State that feels like this because we're getting rid of divisions next year because the playoff is coming this you may have a situation where you have Michigan, Ohio State back to back weeks. They may not be both undefeated again because of the new Big Ten. Do you think it's possible this is uh, the last type of Michigan, Ohio State game is the way that we know it? The the thing that I the picture that I think makes it the hardest is not, you know, they might not be meeting undefeated. I think they both still be meeting uh, with the college football playoff seating in mind, and that's really important for either one of those teams. But the the idea of of playing it back-to-back as a player, I don't know if I could have handled that emotionally because the one thing that does happen is you are spent mm-hmm. after that game, win or lose. Like, it takes everything out of you. And then you got to come back on Sunday, and it's like, all right, we're going to break down this game film because these are the same dudes we're going to see a week from now, I'm like, holy moly, coach, I can't listen to the LL Cool J. It's time for war for another week. That only works for one week, coach. And I think that's the part that's going to be difficult. Yeah, the hard thing is, is like the imp- what makes this game, like why you're even asking that question is because of the implications of this game, where it's like, if, I don't know that Michigan can lose and still afford to get into the playoff, right? right? Um, Ohio State maybe could, but of course, neither team wants to lose. Like it's a trip to India, a trip to the college football playoff. You know, that could look different in the future. But that in mind, like I, it, I don't. I think the question may like like it. it this rivalry is this rivalry. Yeah. Like, there's never going to be a year where we say, "Oh, well, this one doesn't matter because they may play next week." Like, make no mistake about it. Like, though, it it is good. We will have these type of conversations with fire in our bellies every year. And I think we're in control of that too, as people who cover this sport. And the thing that like I hate that that people in this business do is like, "Oh, well." You know, 12 team playoff is coming in the regular season is not going to matter as much It's like it'll matter as much as you want to pay attention yeah. to it. You know, it's like, oh, the 14 playoff came and now all these other bowl games are irrelevant. It's like, dog, I would love to play in a New Year's six game. That's not a part of the playoff. Like if you told me I could go to the Rose Bowl, the granddaddy of them all, that would be great. And people are trying to act like that stuff doesn't matter. And it's like, well, they only feel that way because somebody told them it's OK to feel that way. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's OK. So as long as we as people who cover that game tell people it's not OK to feel like it doesn't matter, it'll still matter. The people have been wrong many times. They have a bad track record. They they told me NIL and Transfer Portal was the end of college football. We'll never see this the is the game. best parody we've had. They told me NIL was bad. How can we give these guys money? I see these college players giving back more than business owners. I mean, so are you kidding me? Out there giving back Trey Henderson, out there giving back. But, oh, my God, it's going to corrupt all these young people. So whenever the people say one thing, actually, usually the opposite is true. And and we also, we never had Michigan-Ohio State back-to-back when it was legends and leaders. Like, people thought it was going to happen, and it didn't happen. And, Joshua, I'm with you in terms of the games matter as much as you want it to matter, and I've always felt that way, and uh, I I think players would as well. Wait, before we let you guys go, you guys are – 
very much in demand this week because you guys are great representatives of your programs and we're so grateful for you guys making time. Um, quick predictions, if we can get you guys on the record with the prediction and why or how the game would be decided. Ooh, this is a toughie. I haven't had a, as much time to think about this. now. I'm, it it will change, but we're just, as we recording this point in time, here's your pick. So I think the the way that Michigan's offense has looked the last two weeks is a very interesting thing to me. I think Sharon Moore is a phenomenal coach. I think that he does what many great coaches do. We see Lincoln Riley and Ryan Day. Those guys are quarterback-minded guys. So when games get a certain way, all they want to do is spin it around the field. Well, we see Sharon Moore when the game gets a certain way. He likes to lean on that run game a little bit more. And Ohio State's been uh, much better defensively, really good against the run. And so I think they have to pack their their big boy pants. But if you can force Michigan to play a game that it doesn't look like they want to play right now, and J.J. McCarthy doesn't look right, whether he's a little bit banged up or it's something different going on, um, in the game against Maryland, he had four passes that hit Maryland defenders in the hands. One of them was intercepted. If you can force that type of performance, I think Ohio State gets a chance. Now, I'm not convinced that they can consistently do that. I think Michigan's going to come out with their best game plan. And so what I really think it, it hinges on is the idea of what they've been defensively this year is when they have given up yards, they've done a really good job of not letting people score touchdowns. Um, they've limited the amount of touchdowns people have scored on the ground, which is something that we've seen Blake Corum do uh, to the tune of 20 touchdowns this year, right? So I think that there's going to be a battle within a battle there. For Ohio State, the biggest thing offensively is how you can insulate Kamakord. I think that he's played really well. I think Michigan is a good team getting after the quarterback when they blitz. Kyle McCord has to know every blitz package that there is. He has to know where the blitzes are coming from. He has to know where his hot read is, and he has to get the ball out in rhythm. Um, I think if they can do those things, they can make this game a good one. Um, I think that there's a, uh, an intangible here, and I know I'm rambling a little bit, but I'm, I'm going to get to it. The intangible here is Ryan Day has looked very different this year, demeanor-wise. He he was, we all made fun of him for yelling at Lou Holtz. Um, even last year, going back to the Georgia game, I've never seen that man so emotional. And I think that his team feeds off of his emotion. And if he brings that to Ann Arbor, I think that they can sneak out of there with a win. I think I agree. Everything Joshua said is going to be we have to keep our eyes on that. I think if you're Ohio State, I really think Travion Henderson has to have a huge game. I, I think if if Michigan is able to shut down Ohio State's running game, I, I think McCord's been playing good football. And I think Ryan Day's a good, done a good job. But but if Michigan's able to shut down Ohio State's running game, you're going to force McCord to really win a game. And this is where I think that could matter. Ryan Day's done a great job of scheming Marvin Harrison Jr. open. Look at where he, he lines up all over the field with motions and snaps. Where McCord has struggled, though, is when the picture changes post-snap. Mm -hmm. Notre Dame, that game should have been over because a rat safety read it. It should have picked it off. There's been a few times where that's come up. Michigan does some of that. So there's going to, if, if Michigan's stopping the run, McCord's going to be looking 18's way. If Michigan can disguise some things and then take advantage of it and intercept the football or make some plays, that could be a big difference. Then it's on uh, Michigan to capitalize. Um, I, there'll be a few games. I, the one thing I think is it's going to be a defensive game. We yeah. talked about yeah. this. I don't know that we're seeing a, a, a 30 to 35 score here. It's probably closer to 20 at first to get to 20. Special teams will play a factor. I think Michigan, in that sense, I think Michigan wins this one by three points. 
much better special teams for mm-hmm. Michigan, no doubt there. Um, and I, I think to your point, if either one of these quarterbacks decides that they want to turn this football over, that might be the difference. Dangerous. In the game. Yep. Michigan's All three right. and a half point favorite. The over under is 47 and a half. So yeah, it's about right. That in line. sounds that I sounds about right. <laughs> well, guys, we appreciate you guys making time for us. Happy Thanksgiving. Enjoyed the game. We hope everyone's friendship survives. <laughs> we appreciate Thanks. you. All right, and now it's time, as Chris and I always do, we start by talking about the happy hour. These are things we're excited about, what we can't wait to watch, and this week is maybe the easiest week of all to talk about things we are happy about because it is a bunch of great rivalry games. We love rivalry week. The game is super special, as we just talked about with Jake and Joshua. Um, It's going to be a monster, two undefeated top three teams. It's awesome. The Iron Bowl, not quite the Iron Bowl of your, um, maybe not going to be super competitive. Egg Bowl will be lopsided, but that'll be played on Thanksgiving. Nothing better than kind of going through a post-turkey coma and watching that game. Chris, let's talk about some of the other rivalry games we're pumped for. Well, first, I want I to touch on the Egg Bowl. Egg Bowl has become one of my favorite Thanksgiving traditions. I mean, I'm from Detroit, so the Lions game is always number one, but... I love the Egg Bowl because it's all it's always bananas. This might end up being lopsided, but that doesn't mean nothing interesting or controversial might happen. We've had players uh, pretending to pee and losing the game because of that. So much hatred and drama, overtime games between these teams. Shout out to the Egg Bowl for being on Thanksgiving and giving us that. If you're a real college football fan, you watch that instead of whatever the NFL game is at night. I don't even know what it is. Watch the Egg Bowl. But as for these others, I mean, you got to look at, Civil War, which we don't technically call the Civil War anymore, but everybody still calls it the Civil War. Oregon State, Oregon, or Oregon, Oregon State. You've got Oregon needs to win to get into the Pac-12 championship game. Oregon State's coming off a heartbreaking loss to Washington. Remember this game last year? Oregon State did not run the ball, or sorry, did not throw the ball in the fourth quarter and made a double-digit comeback. I think it might have been 17 unanswered points. Beat Dan Lanning in a Another game that came down to a Dan Lightning fourth uh, fourth down attempt. I'm fired up for that game. That game's going to be awesome in Eugene. That's probably my number one. What about you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, that that's going to be a monster of a game this year. Both teams playing exceptionally well, and we don't have official confirmation as we're recording this that that series is going to continue, so we are yep. going to appreciate it. Um, that one's going to be awesome. I mean, the Apple Cup is going to be fun, too. And that's a series that we do know is going to stick around at least through 2028. Two schools yes. announced they're continuing onward. Yes, Chris is very happy. Um, a rivalry that survives realignment. But I think that's going to be a fun one, too. Wazoo's been really up and really down this season. Um, but, you know, Washington's been playing a lot of close games. I think the defense has some issues. So that could be a close one and a fun one. Um Shout out to Nebraska trying to get bowl eligible. Three straight one possession losses. They've got to have to beat Iowa to do so to win that game and get to number six in Matt Rule's first year. Also, a side plot. I, I don't think this is necessarily maybe like going to be uh, number one on anybody else's wish list, but Texas Tech and Texas are playing. If you remember in the offseason when Brett Yormark went to Lubbock, he said that he <laughs> would he'd be pulling for Texas Tech to beat Texas in this game. I, I believe he's going to be there, which, you know, you got to put your money where, where your mouth is. Uh, so that one's a fun one just based on his personal history, rooting against Longhorns who are leaving the Big 12. So uh, there's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, there are some, again, like the Iron Bowl, 
you know, Auburn's coming off a loss to New Mexico State, but like Michigan, Ohio State, these are some historic games of like the stakes of this game. And the same with the Civil War. Like these are monster, monster games in the histories of these rivalries. And and also um, the biggest rivalry, the biggest, uh, the most important trophy in college sports, the land grant trophy is on the line. Michigan State, Penn State. Uh, it's the game you grow up thinking about playing in and carrying that trophy around. These teams do not play next year. So you're going to have bragging rights and that beautiful trophy for at least like two years. So that's wow. important. Wow, this is it, is, it is the most unique trophy in college football. And, 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 and speaking of Thanksgiving um, rivalry traditions, Texas, Texas A&M, we don't have the 2024 SEC schedule yet. And I want to know if Texas versus AM is going to be back on Thanksgiving. That was one of my traditions growing up, watching that game in the morning, uh, or, or at least around that weekend. I don't know if they determined yet if it will be, but uh, we'll find that out later. So yeah, a lot of good rival games. We had a lot of rival games last week too. USC, we UCLA, did. and stuff like that. So um, college football is great. Love the rivalries. Yeah. This will also all look a little bit different next year, um, post-realignment as well. We know that the Apple Cup is going to be obviously a lot earlier in the season. Mm -hmm. um, Oregon and Washington are going to start ending the season by playing each other. USC UCLA yep. will still be played the weekend before the final weekend, so that um, so that Notre Dame can play USC um, to close out the season. So so some of this will get adjusted, um, but we still will have a bunch of these games at the end of the year. So please, everyone, enjoy your Thanksgiving weekends. Enjoy all the rivalry games. Uh, we can't wait for them. But there are some coaches who maybe um, could wait, could could use time to slow down a little bit, give themselves some more chances to turn things around a little bit. Uh, let's move over to our On the Rock segment. We talk about some frustrations, frictions somewhere in the sport. We are in the thick of the coaching carousel season. We have joined our pals. We joined the Max and Sam pod. Max specifically, to dive into a bunch of the open jobs and how we would consider uh, hiring for them. But they're probably not the only jobs that will or can open. So, Chris, why don't you lay out some places where you're keeping your eyes wide open to see if they end up making a change? Yeah, we, we already went deep on Texas A&M, Michigan State, Mississippi State, Syracuse, our picks for the jobs. That's earlier in the feed. There are some more jobs that are definitely going to open by the end of the weekend. Some almost happened this weekend. Uh, the the jobs I'm looking at, Baylor with Dave Aranda, which just won the Big 12 two years ago, but things have turned south very quickly there. At the, at the minimum, I think you're going to see a staff overhaul there still to be determined. He's got a pretty big buyout. We don't know for sure because it's a private school. Uh, Houston with Dana Holgerson, they blew a big lead against Oklahoma State last week. They're not going to a bowl game this year. He's got a pretty big bout as well, but the sense is this kind of comes down to what, whatever Tillman Fertitta's thoughts are is generally where this is going to go if they're willing to, to pay that or not. Keep an eye on Houston. You got UCLA, which it was a report last week saying it was possible or probable that, that UCLA could move on from Chip Kelly UCLA goes on, then goes on and beats USC to make things a little bit awkward. UCLA has Cal this week. Keep an eye on UCLA. What could happen there? UTEP, I'd be surprised if they don't move on from Dana Dimmel at the end of the season. New Mexico got a big win last week, but things have been rough for Danny Gonzalez there. Ball State, 
Uh, and then there'll be some other surprises as well. But those are the ones to keep an eye on. We know Arkansas is keeping Sam Pittman. They announced that. So I think the Power 5 ones we're really looking at this weekend, most notably Baylor and Houston and possibly UCLA. Yeah, and uh, uh, just as I'm sure anyone listening here doesn't need a reminder, but um, you know things will start moving very quickly now that we will be hitting the end of the regular season in terms of filling open jobs. Also, the transfer portal window opens on December 4th. So a lot of people last year moved very, very quickly to actually make hires as well after jobs opened because they wanted a head coach in place by that date. So you're going to want to uh, keep your head on a swivel and pay attention to everything here over the next couple of weeks because things are going to move very, very quickly. Um, okay, Chris, before we wrap things up, and um, again, just wanted to wish everyone a happy holiday weekend. Um, but that is not my last call. So I want to make sure we have time for our cheers and our jeers. However, we want to wrap things up as the bar is closing and we want to get one more round of drinks to celebrate something or to rant about something. Um, Chris, why don't you go first? I'll let you make your last call. This isn't my last call, but it's a shout out to my last call last week. New Mexico State, who I gave a shout out to last week for getting to eight and three, then went out and beat Auburn at Auburn. So they are now nine and three. Shout out again to New Mexico State. But my real last call here is for the interim head coaches who get wins. It is a terrible position when you're a coach on a staff or a player on a team and you know your head coach has been fired, which means if you're an assistant coach, you're probably out of a job within a couple of weeks. That is a really just difficult headspace to be in. And what we've gotten so far this year, David Braun at Northwestern, He's, he's had the whole season as the interim coach, did a good enough job. He got the job. Harlan Barnett's got a couple of wins at Michigan State. Greg Knox at Mississippi State got a win uh, this past weekend. And I don't, you, I don't know if you saw the video, Nicole, of him riding a four-wheeler in the locker room, apparently before the game. Crazy. I, I, don't, I have so many questions that I don't want to answer it as to how he got it in there. But that was really cool. Spencer Danielson at Boise State uh, got a win. And some of these teams like Boise State – uh, possibly Mississippi State, uh, could be going to bowl games too. You could have the interim situation playing out into bowl games as well. But shout out to the interim head coaches who get get a win, get to enjoy it, get to feel good about things for a day uh, because it's a tough spot for everybody. It is. And I will kind of piggyback off of that for my last call. I want to celebrate the surprise teams. There are a bunch of teams. We we always talk about the angst. We always talk about disappointments and and you know, factions of fan bases that get frustrated. How about some of these teams that I'm not sure anyone saw this season coming? I want to, I'll piggyback on David Braun and Northwestern. So last week, big week in Evanston, David Braun gets the interim tag removed. And then Northwestern goes bowl eligible. They rush the field. They're celebrating final game at Ryan Field. Uh, just, I, I absolutely did not see that coming. I don't know that anyone did. This was still a roster of a players that won one game last year. And then you had all the offseason uh, upheaval and angst and Pat Fitzgerald being fired basically right on the eve of media days. And uh, it's just been a remarkable story. And then shout out to Arizona. They are still alive in the Pac-12 yeah. race with one weekend to go. Jedfish has done an incredible job. Um, they have gotten some great performances. Uh, the defense has turned around. No, Fafita has been great, really fun to watch. Um, I don't know that anyone saw them. I think we we saw that they were improving under Fish, but this type of season, this type of success, it's been really awesome. 
Yeah, love the teams to kind of come out of nowhere to have a really good season and just rejuvenate everybody. And we've seen that in, in a lot of different places. You know, there's been a lot of talk about the, the teams that are, you know, uh, 10-0, 11-0 competing for the championship. But then you've got other teams like Louisville getting back on track. you got teams like uh, Oklahoma State winning Bedlam, having another really good season after kind of a, a, a down year. Um uh, Iowa being nine and two, despite firing their offense coordinator. Like there's a lot of teams outside that, like top five, top six district are having really surprising fun seasons across the power five in the group of five UNLV. You've talked about them a bunch as well. Um, yeah. So shout out to, are, the, to the team. We, 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 we like more than just the national championship picture here on this podcast. We, we, we love all of college football. We love to talk about all the teams. So shout out to those teams as well. Yeah, it matters for a lot of those teams to make the conference championship game. I mean, Louisville's never been in it since they've been in the ACC the last decade. How, how about I, Jeff Brom taking <laughs> Purdue to its first Big Ten championship and now and Louisville to its Louisville first to ACC its first championship back to back years? Incredible. incredible. It, it really is. And um, like, but that 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 matters. That that means a lot to people. Um, you know, it clearly meant a lot to Iowa to clinch the West. Um, very emotional. Kirk Parents, Brian Parents. Um, these things, these things matter to people. It's not just about getting to the playoff and we just wanted to take a minute to celebrate all of that and celebrate all of that joy. Um, it has been, it, it's one of the best parts of the year is to be surprised by a team that kind of comes out of nowhere and, uh, captures the attention for a little bit. So cheers to everyone, to the interim coaches, to New Mexico state. They would also count as a surprise team. I think just the level of success they had, I don't know, even with, the wins and being bowl eligible if people would have had them knocking off Auburn, beating Hugh Freeze for the second year in a row. Um, so yeah, cheers to everyone. Um, everyone who's played for something, even if it's not been the college football playoff, we are watching um and we want to celebrate you guys and the seasons that you are having. Um and Missouri, Missouri, Missouri. Oh, I forgot to one. say them too. That's Another a good fun one. one. Yeah, that's a good one. Should have mentioned them. Poised to be in a New Year's Six Bowl. That's a huge deal for them. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a lot that people are playing for. Um, it's been really awesome to watch. We're thankful, uh, of course, for all of you guys as well for listening and allowing us to do this show. It's a lot of fun. Chris and I look forward to it every single week. I want to thank you all for tuning in to Power Hour. And be sure that you're following the Until Saturday podcast feed wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll be notified when new episodes are up. We always appreciate five-star ratings and reviews. Also, you can hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel. Join us every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday on our live streams. Subscribe to the Until Saturday newsletter if you prefer your updates on college football in written form. But for Chris Vanini, I'm Nicole Auerbach. This is Power Hour, and we'll talk to you again next time.